On Sunday mornings, we are in a, uh, a series that we're calling Unexpected Christmas. I got to thinking about one of the things that I do every week is take God's truth and put it in words. And it shouldn't be that hard to do. Write it down, use some words, convey a thought, convey a message. But it's trickier than you think. Although words do mean things, words may conjure up a different picture in your head than it does in mine, depending on your life's experience. I'll give you a few examples of that. And I use the word coffee. I have a picture in my mind of what I do when I get a cup of coffee. I usually drink one on the way to work. I carry my little, my wife will graciously fill this up with coffee. And by coffee, I mean ground up beans that have been, uh, the water, hot water has been poured over these ground up beans. And the hot bean juice is what fills my cup. I take that into work, I drink it. Maybe I'll have one more while I'm in the office. And so when I say coffee, that's what is in my mind, but it may well not be what's in yours. Um, We were sitting around at the Focus Christmas party, and I don't know why this subject particularly came up, but the subject of how you take your coffee came up, and Tyler said, oh, none of you got me beat with the list that Brittany gives me for coffee. You see, when Brittany goes to Starbucks, and I actually had to write this down, there are very specific instructions. A venti, extra hot, decaf, extra shot, non-fat, white mocha, three pumps instead of five with whip. That's coffee, according to Brittany. How many of you drink coffee like I drink coffee? Yes, that's the way God intended. How many of you drink, how many of you drink coffee like Brittany drinks coffee? Okay, that's not coffee, that's a milkshake, folks. Okay, that's... But you see what I mean? I use one word and it conjures up different pictures in your mind of what that word is and what it means. Let's talk about the the subject of camping, the word camping. When I think of the word camping, I think of getting a pup tent, sleeping bag. Uh, You don't need too much else, maybe an extra pair of uh, warm stocking cap, depending on how cold it is, and some warm socks. But, But it's pretty rustic, okay? It's not designed to be super uh Fruit-fruity. The only fruit-fruit you get in camping is the marshmallows, maybe, um, but that's about it. Camping is designed to be very ru- rustic for some people. Uh, some people don't go camping, they go glamour camping, what we call glamping. It's, it's more like a extra house in the vicinity of nature, but not really a tent, so to speak. Uh, inside the tent, we'll use air quotes on that, uh, will be, you know, all the comforts of home with Wi-Fi and uh, your little K-cup dispenser and uh, your sleep number bed and electricity. <laughs> I mean, just we just want all the comforts of home out in the wilderness. Uh, if you go to family camp, you understand there there are hilltop campers and there are diva cabin campers. Okay, one's more outdoorsy, one's more indoorsy. <laughs> Different meaning same word. So can I tell you the struggle that we have in talking about the birth story of Christ and that we take the word God, which is really indescribable, but as the Bible describes it, he's majestic, 
almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. Isaiah described going into the, to the throne room of God, into the presence of God, and the glory filled to the point that he was filled with fear. Woe unto me, he said, I am a man of unclean lips, uh, living among a people of unclean lips. When he came into the holy, majestic, powerful, amazing presence of God, he was just absolutely brought to his knees in humility. Not understanding what the presence and the majesty of God was like. And yet in the birth story, we get all of that wrapped up in a picture that we don't expect. The picture of a baby. Instead of almighty, we get weakness. And instead of all-powerful, we get very fragile. Oh, be careful, little chicken nugget. Careful. This is Neil Andre. Hi. You didn't know you were getting first front row seat to the sermon today, did you? Neil Andre is six weeks old. I want you to think about for just a minute. Oh, I'm so nervous about it too, I promise. You don't know how many people are wondering what I'm going to do with you. Do you understand that when we talk about the birth story, that we talk about that there was a point in time when Mary beheld God as a baby in the flesh, fragile and weak and dependent? Do you understand that in parts of the birth story, King Herod tried to kill little babies because they knew the king was coming, because he thought the king was trying to take his throne? How fragile, how precious, how so limited and human. See, this is not the picture we expect. Now, I'm going to bring you back to your mother who will be so thankful, or your father. Thank you, Eric. You see, two very different pictures are radically juxtaposed together in one God in flesh hail the incarnate deity you and I take that for granted but may we not miss what Matthew told us in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And so all of the power, the glory and the majesty and the just absolute amazingness of God is poured into an infant, a baby child that seems so, so far away and different. And yet, God said, call him Emmanuel. Because for the first time, God is with you. He was God with a human heartbeat. He was God with DNA. He was God with eye color and hair color and skin. He was God with the ability to have intellect and reason and, and, and knowledge and wit and the sense of humor. He was God who had the ability to be sad and frustrated and terribly, terribly sorrowful. 
He was God in flesh, physically, emotionally, intellectually. Now, how all of that worked, there are a lot of mysteries about it that the Scripture does not divulge. But we're told in that moment that God entered our world as a baby. Max Locato described uh, with his great talent with words this beautiful, magical, miraculous, and yet at the same time mundane moment when God entered our world. And here's what he wrote. Yet were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would would have beheld. The stable stinks like all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard, the hay scarce, cobwebs up in the corners as a mouse scurries across the floor. A more humble, lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed. Perhaps in awe, no doubt, in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. Near the young mother sits a weary father. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans himself against the wall of the stable. His eyes grow weary. He still hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the event puzzles him, but... He hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and that Mary is safe. And wide awake, wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of a baby. Her son, her firstborn, her Lord. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what God is doing is a poor teenage girl in a smelly stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow Mary knows that she is holding God. So this is he. He looks like anything but a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy... Is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable. Through the womb of a poor teenager in the presence of a questioning carpenter. He touches the face of this infant God. Oh, how long was your journey? This baby, you see, has overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums, just coming awake. The merchants, unaware that God has visited their planet, the innkeeper, would never believe that he had just sent God out into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. 
You see, they were all too busy to consider the possibility that God was with them. As Luke says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. John describes it in, I think, a way that's much more succinct and far better than what Max or Luke did, either one. He simply says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh. You see, the birth of Jesus brings together two completely different ideas and images. There are some words that don't go together. You use the, word, the phrase jumbo shrimp. That doesn't make sense. A phrase like civil war doesn't seem to quite do it. Sometimes the phrase common sense doesn't really seem to fit. But what happens here is God incarnate. Deity in the flesh. Try to wrap your fleshly mind around it, and I dare you, you cannot do it. John chapter 4, verse 24 says that God is spirit. Sometimes we'll get a question and know your Bible like, what color is God? That's such a foolish question. It's like asking to try to smell the color nine. It just doesn't make any sense. God is spirit. He doesn't have any color. He's not flesh like you and I. And yet in this moment... When God steps into eternity, God came close. He came closer than ever before. If you and I could get a a 30,000 foot view of the Bible, I know it's easy to start out, you know, here in January, you'll start out your Bible reading program and you'll be all enthusiastic in Genesis. You'll kind of hang tight in Exodus, but you'll be totally lost in Leviticus and absolutely numb by numbers and you will be distraught by Deuteronomy. You'll get so lost in the details that maybe perhaps you'll miss the entire storyline of the Bible. If I could give you the entire storyline in the Bible in just a couple of minutes, it would be using the word closer. Let me give you a visual to help explain this. Tyler, can I get your help for me? You see, it wasn't always this way. See, there are some of you here this morning that feel like God is very distant. Maybe you're wondering how that happened. You see, it wasn't always that way. In the beginning, Genesis 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2 said he created man and Adam and Eve were in relationship with God the Father. In fact, there's one verse that says they walked together in the cool of the evening. And as good and perfect as that world was with God and his creation, something bad happened in Genesis chapter 3. His creation chose sin to rebel against God. And all of a sudden there was a great distance between God and his creation. Because God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. And the beautiful creation with, that he had made was all of a sudden imperfect. Sin marred, blemished. Thank you, Tyler. You have a seat. 
But the story doesn't stop at the separation. Oh, praise God that it doesn't stop at the separation. You see, what happens from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God gradually moving closer to Adam. He started out in Exodus chapter 19. You know the story. Moses giving the law. They come to the mountain and the people are so afraid. They just say, Moses, just go on up there. We don't want to, if we touch this mountain, we'll die. And God had said, if you touch this mountain in an unholy, irreverent way, you'll die because that is my presence. But God came down to the mountain. Now, Moses had to ascend up so that he could receive the perfect law of God. And, and part of that law contains stru- instructions or a unique place, a dwelling place of God, as God would move even closer in instructing his people in Exodus 39 about the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was a tent. We talked about camping earlier. It was an actual holy tent of God, and it was made with very specific instructions. Do you know why there's so much detail poured into that holy tent-making uh, routine in Exodus? is because this was going to be where God dwelt with his people. They called it the tabernacle. It was made to be mobile. It was made to be picked up and moved with the people of God who didn't have a home, but their home was in the presence of them, in the midst of them, as God's presence resided later with them. And then later they had a more permanent structure in what's known as the temple. And with that Temporary home became a permanent home. You see, God at each step of the way has moved closer and closer to his people. Until finally, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the beginning, God gets close enough to touch, to hold, to talk to, to listen to. To hear teach. We have God in human form. His words. His teaching. His hands. God is truly with us. With Jesus, God, you see, is no longer distant. He is right there next to us. Since Eden... All the way from Eden, God has been relentlessly pursuing us. Some have this mixed up idea that God came halfway and that we, in our wonderful power, mustered up all the might and just met God halfway. No, that is not what happened. God came to us. We're told that we were dead in our sins and transgressions and God came close to us By his power. I don't have to understand that fully. But that doesn't mean it's any less true. You see, God drew near to us. He's no longer distant from us. If you've ever wished that God would show himself. If you've ever struggled with knowing if God understands your struggles and your heartaches and your difficulties. You need to remember Jesus The incarnate God. Colossians chapter 1 describes him in this way, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The first born of all creation. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus Christ was the first real human being that ever lived. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, the incarnation, the closeness of God shows that not only is God with us, but that God is for us. That he's behind us. That he's, I mean, from Eden, he has been relentlessly, recklessly pursuing us one step at a time. So if you are here this morning and you feel like God is distant, may I reintroduce you to the birth story of Christ. May I remind you that you are very pursued and very loved. And if you're distant from God, it's not because God hasn't made the effort. May we remember that God came close to you for a purpose, for a reason. And it's so that you can come close to him. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And you see, before Christ, that couldn't happen. Not really. There was always some level of separation In the tabernacle and the temple, there was a division between the holy place and the most holy place. That was the only place that the priest, the high priest could go once a year. And dare he not do it irreverently for fear of death. God has now come close enough to touch, close enough to hear, close enough to listen to. C.S. Lewis again said, the son of God became a man. To enable men to become sons of God. You see, the only way to do this is through Jesus. Jesus was not just, as the song says, away in a manger. He is the way in the manger. He came from heaven to earth, as the song says, to show the way. From the earth to the cross, your debt and mine to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, may we lift your name on high. He came from heaven to earth to be near you. This morning I want to ask you, are you near him? Are you close to him? Have you taken this simple story of God stepping into the body of a baby for granted? Have you forgotten the meaning of the Messiah coming close to be near you? Or maybe maybe you've never heard the story. And you want to know how you can come close to God. My answer to that is only through Jesus. He's the only way. If you're ready to submit your life to him this morning, if you're ready to yield your heart in obedience to the gospel, by repenting, by confessing his name as Lord, by putting him on in baptism, we'd be glad to help you with that this morning because we as a church want you, want all of us to be near to the presence of God. But that only happens through Jesus. If you're ready to do that this morning, please come down and forward and our elders will meet you. But maybe you've done that and you're just feeling distant from the Lord. You've forgotten 
the meaning. You've forgotten how far he's come to see you, to rescue you, to reconcile you, and to redeem you. This morning, if you are, have lost your way, you've forgotten the meaning of the Messiah in the manger, uh, and you like our prayers of encouragement, you'd like for us to help you and encourage you and, and, and lift you in some way along the journey to be closer to the Lord, we want to help you with that too. Whatever your need might be this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.